I drive zero RB in Dynasty. Pass up a young receiver? Nah, I couldn't be me. My fifth wide receiver, and it's only round seven. Not sure if I'm dead, cause I think this is heaven. Now forget what he said, and listen to me. What you really wanna do is stack those RBs. You can be Linda, just let me be frank. Those RBs on your roster is money in the bank. One says it's awful, the other says it's great. It's time to buckle in for a dynasty debate. Welcome in, welcome in, welcome in episode 87 of the Dynasty Debates, the best kept secret in all of Dynasty Fantasy Football. I am your humble host, as always, Evan Brown. You can catch me on Twitter at FFEvanLution, the humblest host in the biz. You can follow the show at Dynasty Debates, or you can drop me an email, DynastyDebates at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, things you love, things you hate about the show, let me know. Guys, we are back for part two of this amazing, insightful talk from the Canadian hoser himself, John Macri at PFF underscore Macri on Twitter, the PFF insider who has given us all the hot tips and hot hints that we can handle when it comes to PFF and how it correlates to fantasy football. In part one, if you haven't listened to it, go back and check it out. It was a lot of fun. Got a little background, a little history of John and his introduction to PFF, his introduction to fantasy football, etc., etc. It was a lot of really interesting information. Now we're actually diving into the correlation between the PFF grades and scores and fantasy football production. What does that look like? How can you utilize that for your dynasty squads? It's a really fun conversation, so buckle up and let's just jump right into it. The main event. Fight! I think does sort of lead me to the kind of next step, the evolution of our conversation, which is obviously, I, this is a dynasty fantasy football show. I love fantasy football. I know you have a, a podcast where you talk IDP. You're part of the PFF fantasy team. So you love fantasy football as well. I wanted to sort of transition into then some talk about, we've talked about what PFF is. We've talked about how valuable it is for real life football. We've talked about how accurate they try to be in, in real, you know, first to the most extent they really are saying like these, this distinguishes sort of the best players from the worst players from just an average player really in general. Um, but how does this translate to fantasy football? Right. Because a real good NFL player isn't always a real good fantasy football player. I think we can all agree on that. And um, just a peek behind the curtains for me, I've been thinking about this a lot ever since I got the edge subscription and I'm actually working. I've worked on been working on an article um, series at the moment for dynasty nerds. I've already let out the first edition. Uh, it's called putting the FF in PFF. Um, and it's talking about what is the, and from my perspective, not from someone who works in it, but just from my perspective, from analyzing some of the grades and stuff, like what is the correlation? So I thought it'd be really fun to kind of explore that and kind of try and tease some of that out with somebody like yourself, who is an actual boots on the ground expert in the field. Um, you know, so, so with my article series, I've already put out the quarterback edition. I'm working on the running back edition. What I'm looking at is the last five years. So I'm looking at the last five years and the top 12 graded PFF quarterbacks or the top 12 graded running backs each year. And then the top 12 fantasy, um, you know, running backs and quarterbacks and wide receivers. And how do they cross over? Is there sort of trends that we can notice? Now, obviously it's not like an ultimate and exclusive list because I'm only looking at the top 12 and it's only a five-year sample size, but 
you know, I think it's a big enough sample size and a good enough list where we can draw some interesting data points or some interesting, you know, parallels or conversations, uh, maybe some some kind of hints and tips. I certainly found that with the quarterback, you know, as I was researching it and writing up the article and things like that, I certainly found some things that I found really interesting about it. Um, and now that I've done the research on the running backs, it's very interesting as well because there's a lot of differences there. And so, again, that's where we're going to go with this, you know, sort of second half of the conversation. Before we start getting into it too deeply, what are your general like thoughts on PFF for fantasy? Like, how do you see the correlation as a kind of an overview? And are there any, I don't know, like rules of thumb that you're like, I generally do this with PFF for fantasy, or I find this is really useful for PFF and fantasy? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so a, a couple things kind of come to mind when I think about utilizing PFF grades for, for fantasy football. Um, and the first one being that if I'm going to use PFF grades to, to either, whether it's to shine a positive or a negative light on a player, um, if I'm going to use those grades as a predictive metric, then there are definitely going to be data points uh, that are more predictive than others. So what we call kind of like the stable versus unstable metrics, right? So um, for example, you, you wrote up a, a really good article about the, the quarterback position and, and how um, that correlates to fantasy. So that, that, that's one of the the, the stickier uh, positions, I, I think, for as far as performance uh, in, in the PFF system and and fantasy performance as well. So, but there are uh, stable and unstable metrics for quarterbacks that that we can look at. So their grades, for example, uh, under pressure versus from a clean pocket. So the clean pocket grade uh, is a more stable metric of the two because it tells you how a quarterback is performing under ideal conditions. So um, if they're bad from a clean pocket, for example, then they're likely just kind of a below average or bad quarterback to kind of simplify it. Um, and then if they're good or, or, or bad under pressure, we found that it's just not as sticky uh, year to year because those pressures and and how offense and, and defense react to them all look different and, and they change dramatically play by uh, play to play. So especially year to year as well. So we tend to kind of highlight um, that as something that can change quite a bit season to season. Actually, a good example uh, is Justin Herbert for for so in his rookie year he led the league in passing grade from a clean pocket uh, or sorry uh, he he led the league in passing grade from a a pocket like under pressure so he had it's like seventy five point four or something like that but then last year his second year in the league dropped to fifty three point nine passing grade from under pressure so. There's, there's a big jump there because that so much changes year to year, but his passing grade from a clean pocket uh, in those two seasons was something that was more predictive because he had a really good grade uh, from a clean pocket in his rookie season. And then that got even better uh, last year. I think last year he was in like the 90s or something like that from a clean pocket. Um, so that's something to kind of take into account um, when using PFF grades in fantasy football is figuring out which of the the uh, the metrics and the, the the data points are more stable if we're going to try to use them as as a predictive um, data point, and and that works for the IDP side too. There's there's stable uh, and unstable metrics that I can get into as well. Yeah, no, I think that's and that's true of a lot of different metrics that we use in fantasy football, really, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot of people you know don't like talking year end finishes. They want to talk 
points per game finishes, or they don't want to talk about um, how many targets you got. They want to talk about target share, or they want to talk about, you know, yards per route run. And there's all these different metrics that we can look at. And there's a lot of really brilliant work that a lot of people have done um, to kind of help us understand what are more sticky or where, where, which metrics give us more signal that this might actually be something worth paying attention to. Um, Like for example, a lot of people don't like yards per carry or whatever for running backs they're like that's just it's so up and down and it can be so variable based on offensive line and scheme and Mm -hmm. you know all these sorts of different things that it's not a really overly great metric to use to kind of scout your running backs or etc and to your point i think it was really interesting um i've done the full my personal full research for my quarterback article i've put put that out i'm working on the running back article haven't finished the wide receiver and tight end so i can't be as maybe definitive on it but as far as looking at like sort of correlation for top 12 finishes and things like that to your point i thought it was really interesting because across you know as kind of a bird's eye view across the five-year sample size i found there was actually a 70 percent crossover between top 12 pff grades and top 12 fantasy football finishes which is really strong correlation in my mind um and that lends itself to things like noticing for example i'll highlight mac jones mac jones actually finished as a top 12 pff graded uh quarterback last year but he didn't finish as a top 12 fantasy running, you know, quarterback, he was only, I think, you know, 18 or 17 or something like that. And a lot of people are really down on him. But for me, when I'm looking at, you know, cause part of what I looked at into the, the data was okay. The five years, there's certain quarterbacks, you know, for example, Herbert and Hertz and these guys that won't have played all five years are only in the league a couple years. When they came into the league, once they broke into that top 12, of the fantasy side or the PFF side, did they continue? Did they then break into both sides? What's that looking like? And I feel like one of the things that I really noticed was it tended to be that when a new quarterback broke into one or the other side, if they've then taken the steps that we want to see, they tend to break in the following year to both sides and they continue to, and they seem to continue being in that it's not as fluky. So for example, Patrick Mahomes, you know, example, um, you know, Justin Herbert, like we just talked about his rookie year, he broke into the top 12 for fantasy football, but he wasn't quite in the top 12 for PFF. And then this last year, he was comfortably in the top 12 in both. And surprisingly, uh, Jalen hurts who a lot of people are really down on, He actually was a top 12 PFF quarterback last year during the regular season and top 12 fantasy finish. So for me, looking at Mac Jones finished inside the top 12, he actually had a regular season PFF grade slightly better than Patrick Mahomes, who we know had a down year. He wasn't, he struggled in the middle of the year there and stuff like that. But again, for me, as far as like scouting and trying to utilize PFF grades to get an edge, that's really piqued my interest in Mac Jones for fantasy because I thought, well, looking at these trends that I'm seeing, like, um, Patrick Mahomes, like Deshaun Watson before that whole thing happened. Um, some of these young quarterbacks that we've seen come in and then break into the top 12 PFF or br- break into the top 12 fantasy and then do that the following year. He seems to be one of the guys that's potentially on that trend where we could see him finish possibly inside the top 12 this year in fantasy. So even though, you know, again, there's a lot more to it, but that's just some of the little things that I'm looking for when I'm looking into the stats and the figures. I'm looking for what are these sort of trends. Uh, trends that we can see what are these situations that we can maybe look at um, putting a little bit more weight to when we're looking at fantasy football and then conversely with the running back position it was way worse it was like over the last five years there was only a 53 percent crossover (laughs) so it was only like it was like a 50 50 like and, and it was quite funny because there was years where 
And I sort of cut it off at 10 games. I know that's just an arbitrary number, but I said, look, if you played 10 games um, in a season, I feel like that was enough to be considered in the top 12 category because up until this last year, that would have been a good chunk of the season. You know, 10 games, it's hard for running backs to stay fully healthy. So I didn't feel like it was fair to include running backs that only played three games and say, well, he was a top 12 PFF grade, you know, even though he played three games because we don't know how the season would have gone. But at the same time, I didn't want to say, well, I have to play 15 of the 16 games because then like you're only going to get about five running backs every year anyways. So, but it was quite funny because there was definitely, you know, there was a year I remember, uh, uh, let me just see. I've got the data here. I think Jamal Williams was in the top 12 PFF grades one year um, for running backs. And DeAndre Washington was in there <laughs> one year. Gus Edwards was in there one year. So it's quite funny when you look at running backs. And so I think for me, one of the things that I've sort of gleaned from that is that, you know, in general, I think we knew this in fantasy anyways, but it feels like so much more concrete in my head after looking at the PFF data that really the running back position is so much more about opportunity than it is about the true skill um, that you're bringing to it. Now, that's not to say that there aren't ways and means to utilize the PFF data and to get an edge um, in your league for running backs, but it's certainly not nearly as prescriptive as it would be for quarterbacks, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on that? And is there anything that you've noticed in the running backs versus quarterbacks sort of with the PFF grades that you know I've missed out on or that you wanted to highlight? No, I, I think you nailed it. I, it's We found the same thing. Like the running back grades year to year are the probably the least sticky i think of all the positions like if i i kind of have like a spreadsheet um that i i collect a bunch of the stable metrics in and for quarterbacks you could see you know the green uh is is pretty steady across the top guys and then it, it slowly fades to the red running backs it's lit up like a christmas tree kind of thing because they're they're all over the place and a lot of it is so dependent on uh opportunity and, and offensive line and, and perfectly blocked plays and, and things like that so i think that definitely plays a big part of it and then like you said for fantasy purposes um it's volume is king right and it's the same thing with linebacker um uh, for on the idp side linebackers don't have to be good in in the pff system they just kind of have to be on the field to be productive uh idp so i i kind of see running back in in the same kind of way if they're getting a, a full three down workload they're they're going to be an effective fantasy player if the same thing with the linebacker that uh, yeah it's really interesting because one thing i wanted to sort of pick your brains about as well when it comes to the running backs because again i know just looking at it, it's nowhere near as sticky. There's not as much crossover. But again, I don't want to just completely write it off and say, well, there's no point then. It's just useless. I wanted to try and see, well, what can we learn from it? Or is there things that we can utilize, things that we could potentially um, manipulate to our advantage, if you will, or, or edges that we can get? And I did notice that, again, similar to like what I was talking about with the quarterbacks, there are a few of those maybe creme de la creme, more elite sort of running backs that do seem to be a little bit stickier so like once they come into the league once they crack that top 12 if they're staying healthy they do seem to repeat a little bit more so than some of the others so for example you know like a nick chubb um you know from what i've seen here you know he just missed out his rookie year but obviously didn't play a full complement of games but 2018 he was the second highest you know graded um running back and then 2019 he was the highest 2020 he came in fourth i believe in only 11 games played 
And then um, last year, again, he was comfortably inside the top 12. So that's pretty impressive. You know, he's had his share of little, you know, little niggles getting beat up. But since he's cracked the top 12 PFF grades, he's repeated every single year. I find that really interesting. And I find that to be, okay, that makes sense. You know, somebody that we could certainly, I would think that signals maybe somebody that we could look to be targeting uh, in fantasy because we can say, well, yes, the fact that running back is so volatile and the fact that he has repeated so many times is really impressive or makes it almost more impressive in my mind because looking at it, it feels like with the quarterbacks, once somebody gets into that top 12, they pretty much, you know, repeat or there or thereabouts most years. Um, whereas running backs, like you could be one and done, you know I mean? Ezekiel Elliott, I think was only in the PFF top 12, like once in the last five years, even though he's been a, a top 12 running back, you know, for fantasy the last five years. So does that make sense? Or do you agree with that? Or do you think that that's maybe not the case? No, I think there are there are certain things I think that we can use as kind of predictors, right, for which guys are going to repeat among the top uh, PFF grades. And and to your point, Nick Chubb uh, has always kind of been one of those those guys. And and I think looking at things like uh, missed tackles forced per attempt uh, is one of the 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 more stickier stats. Uh, yards after contact per attempt, things like that, where it's more on the onus of the running back to to be able to come up with those yards uh is is better metric than like things like yards before contact or um you know breakaway rate or, or, or things like that that are that have a lot to do with like the defense or the offensive line um so nick chubb like for example again missed tackles force per attempt last year had 0.25 per attempt which is uh 89th percentile among running backs uh last season so that's something that he's always kind of been good at and and has been sticky uh for his career last year the leader in that was javante williams uh who everybody in the fantasy community loves right yes uh, yeah, javante bay that's right. Yeah. So 0.31 missed tackles force per attempt for him last year, which is 98th percentile and led all uh, running back. So that's that's a guy right there that you could look at. Um, and he's probably going to be performing well in the PFF system. He's another guy that gets good yards after contact as well. Everybody's seen the clip of him dragging multiple Ravens defenders as well for like 20 yards. Um, so he's somebody that I would I would feel comfortable in, you know, dynasty purposes being a long time uh asset that can that can last for for multiple years and not have that kind of uh variance year to year in, in what his performance is looking like as long as he's healthy yeah and i think that you you know exactly like with running backs we just never we can never promise that we can never yeah. count on that unfortunately the running backs in dynasty they're here for a good time not for a long time and you know i think to your point you just have to realize like for redraft purposes, you can probably utilize it a lot more. Um, but in dynasty, you, again, you can utilize it, but it's probably still something just to be aware of. Like, for example, you know, somebody like a Kamara who's been incredible for like finishing the top 12 every year for the last five years for fantasy, I think four of the five years in the PFF. So he's been a really consistent, really amazing dude, but he's still what 27 years old. He's, he's not getting any younger. Um, but you know, interestingly, Again, Derrick Henry was very much the same. He kind of had this like slow start in the league, but then he really broke into the top 12 from my looking at my data here before he actually managed to break into the top 12 of fantasy. He broke in as um, looking at it here, he broke in 2018. He was the um, actually third highest 
PFF graded running back, but he didn't quite break into that top 12. So if we're looking at that trend, then the next year he managed to just squeak into the top 12 in PFF and he was, you know, comfortably in the top 12 for fantasy 2020. He was the top rated running back for PFF um, and, you know, and he finished third for fantasy. And then last year we know he got derailed because of injury. So again, that's somebody that we could be looking at. And to me, what I really like, and, and the reason I pull those ones out is because I think we could all agree, just as football fans and as people who know the names and stuff, we would say, well, yeah, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, those are some of the elite, quote unquote, elite runners, some of the best running backs in the league, some of the guys that have, you know, the biggest contracts and some people that we would expect to be on that list. So the reason that I get interested in that and I get excited by that is because, okay, well, what kind of trends can we maybe potentially start seeing or extrapolating um, looking at for that? And one guy that really stood out to me, and I want to get your take on this. And I'm curious what your thoughts are because it was quite surprising to me was Damian Harris. Um, now Damian Harris really surprised me because he only played 10 games in 2020, but he actually came in as the second highest PFF graded running back in 2020. Then last year, obviously he played, a lot more games than 10. Um, and he was the highest graded player from what I can see here. It came in an 87.8 grade during the regular season, which was actually just uh, slightly less than one point ahead of Jonathan Taylor. So that's really, really impressive. Now he didn't finish inside the top 12 fantasy burning backs either year, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. Is this something to do with like the Patriots blocking scheme and the Patriots team um, more so do you think, or is this sign that maybe potentially he's somebody that could be a, breakout because he's finished inside the top 12 two years in a row now um, for PFF? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I haven't looked a ton into Harris. I have him here, um, 85.8 uh, rushing grade for the yeah for the regular season. So I got him as fifth uh, for 2021, but it's still that's still very high. Um, yeah, I, it, the thing, it's New England, right? The way that they deploy all their players is is untrustworthy every single uh, every single week. So we, we don't know exactly, but there's there's some positive um, uh, stuff with with uh, with Damian Harris in that he makes the most of his opportunities. Basically, those are the guys that we kind of like. Um, it's just a matter of if they're going to get that opportunity. And and obviously, New England has an entire stable of running backs that they like to uh, like to deploy under Belichick. So it's hard to say if he, you know, if he got that workload, would would you be able to extrapolate that over a full season's um, like an Ezekiel Elliott workload or something like that? It's hard to say, but he's he's done, like you said, he's done well a couple years in a row. I think it's a contract year for him as well. So maybe he goes to another team next year. Uh, I'm I, not crazy about running backs on a second contract and and what those look like. But yeah, there's there's at least promising data in there that says that if he were to be signed by uh, another team and given an opportunity to start again, um, there's 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 somebody he's somebody that could be a, yeah. a, a decent target, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's really interesting to hear your side on that, your take on that, because so, for example, just with what I with my PFF grades, I've filtered it down to just the regular season. Uh, so I haven't included playoffs. I don't know if maybe you're filtering for playoffs as well. That could be skewing it possibly slightly. I'm not sure if Damian Harris played in the in their playoff beating their drubbing um, by the Bills. But yeah, I mean, again, to your point, though, one person that I was going to bring up that I thought was really interesting was Ramondre Stevenson still in that Patriot system from what I looked at in 2021 he just snuck into the top 12 sort of PFF grades um, based on my 10 game sort of sample size cutoff he, he, he managed to perform in 11 games snuck into the top 12 PFF obviously he was nowhere near that for fantasy football but again you sort of think 
does that make him more of an interesting target for fantasy football? Because he's obviously grading out quite well. We know the Patriots scheme, like you mentioned already, Damian Harris could be on his way out next year. Ramondre could step forward and be the dude. Um, is that sort of, again, these sort of, I'm just trying to put names to ideas rather than being yeah. so ethereal with it. But in general, that idea of like using these sort of tools to kind of calculate your moves or kind of think about moves you might want to make is that something that you would think is good and you would encourage or are you sort of more skeptical of using it in the, the data in that sort of way no i think that's the i think that's a great way to kind of identify like the next man up and the next guy that can kind of take over that job and i think Ramondre stevenson is a perfect example of that for uh for dynasty purposes somebody that you know t- that players can target expecting Damian Harris to leave and looking at some of those numbers to see like if this guy were to step into a starting role what are some of those stable metrics um, that he's done well in and and rushing grade is included in that he's a top 10 running back there uh, and he's a top 10 running back in missed tackles force per attempt as well another one of those stable metrics we just talked about so um, I think that makes perfect sense that that Ramondre Stevenson would be a good name um, to fit that bill like you said. And then just going back to quarterbacks again, I touched, I mentioned his name briefly. I think I talked a little bit more about Mac Jones, but Jalen Hurts, I mean, he's a very controversial character and a lot of people are really down on him. But once you start digging a little bit deeper and ignoring narratives, it seems to me that he he's a guy who's been improving every year. Like he improved in college. He's improved after his first year in the NFL. He improved greatly in his second year. And again, if we talk about these trends that we're noticing for me personally, that I've highlighted with Herbert um, Mahomes, Watson, um, all these different young quarterbacks that come in, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, they break into one side or other, either PFF or top 12. Then they manage to break into both. Then they just keep that rolling and they become this staple, you know, diet top 10, you know, dynasty quarterback would you say i mean for me looking at it you know jalen hurts finished top 12 in both like he finished mm-hmm. top 12 pff he also finishes a top 12 like actual fantasy football quarterback they brought in these more weapons does that make you feel more confident more comfortable in kind of pursuing him in dynasty or do you still have those concerns and doubts where you're on the on the negative side of it yeah I, I, hurts is a tough one for me he's one that i've always kind of been on the fence about um especially this year because i know um, you know, if he doesn't perform up to expectation this season, then the Eagles can very easily move on uh, next year. But uh, he, to his credit, like he did have a nice, nice season last year and he has that rushing upside as well for fantasy that we love. So um, for me, I, I think there's a chance that Hertz can continue to improve and, and, you know, not to say that players just continue to get better. Um, it's not like this linear uh projection of of development that we expect in the nfl there's a lot of ups and downs so uh not to say that if he has a down year that he's you know that's the end of him but he showed well in in a lot of the things that that we like he you know he had 23 big time throws was like a five percent big time throw rate so he improved that from the last year uh he also cut down on his turnover worthy plays which are big ones for us um he he took less sacks. There there was a lot that he he did well this this past season, and then there's still room for improvement as well, which you you know you expect out of a younger player who's what 24 years old, something like that. Um, so I think there's I think Hertz yeah is an interesting player, and then if he continues to get that grade, what did he have? 80.8 uh, overall grade last year, so very solid grade for for Jalen Hurts, and yeah, there's there's definitely reason to be excited about what he could become, especially considering that there's there's areas for him to get even better at. 
Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, like I said, after digging into it, I know I've certainly personally felt more excited, more confident about Jalen Hurts because I sort of felt like up to that stage, we're just banking on this rushing upside. We're banking on the fantasy points. We're not banking on the player. But then, you know, when you get past the narrative and you start digging into the actual stats and numbers and stuff like that, um, and obviously watching the film as well, I know there was mistakes made. I know there was problems, but there was a lot of problems with Josh Allen. There was problems with, you know, Kyler at points. There's been problems with a lot of these young quarterbacks that come in and hit the ground running, you know, and take time to acclimate to the NFL, especially a guy like him that's moved around different, you know, went from, from Alabama to playing in Oklahoma and things like that. So, you know, I definitely think he's a guy I'm, I'm a lot more interested in and a lot more intrigued by after doing that research. And again, that's a trend that I'm looking to kind of follow on because I've mentioned I'm a lot more interested in Mac Jones now based on those things. I guess another question then for you, um, what would be your top hints or tips then as far as how to utilize PFF to get an edge in your fantasy leagues and in fantasy football? Yeah. So I think it's utilizing, you know, the certain data for, for certain positions, right? Um, If you're looking at, you know, there's a lot of advanced metrics on the site, things like yards per route run for receivers, um, for, for predictive success, if they get a bigger role, big time throw rate versus turnover worthy plays for quarterbacks is a nice one to kind of keep an eye on to figure out who's making the best throws versus the worst throws. Um, but then like just IDP purposes, the ones that I really like, uh, average depth of tackle versus the run for linebackers, for example, um, looking at guys that are more effective around the, the line of scrimmage and figure out uh, maybe who is the more aggressive linebackers versus the guys who are um, putting up tackles like five yards downfield as a result of just not reacting quick enough or uh, uh, being able to be proactive on a play to play play to play basis. And, and for Defensive line specifically, because this is one that I like to I like to talk about, and and I cover IDP, so I talk about it a lot. But just in case for for anybody that's listening and might be interested, um, things like pressure rates, uh, pass rush grade, and pass rush win rate for defensive linemen are kind of the best indicators for their future successes. And focusing on things like sack rate, for example, is something that is not a stable metric to to rely on year to year because there's so much involved in getting a sack that a lot of it isn't under the the player's control at all. Um, whether it's you know the quarterback's time in the pocket, um, which way the quarterback scrambles under pressure, does he scramble into that player and get a sack? Um, what the defensive coverage is, like how tight it is, um, and offensive blocking as well, it all plays into that. Whereas if you're looking at the pass rush grade, pressure rate. Uh, pass rush win rate things like that you're looking at you're you're isolating that player on a play-to-play basis and how well they're performing at the line of scrimmage and that's where i think pff grades can be really helpful for for idp specifically because um it's showing you how good a player is against their competition one-on-one which is what a lot of um our defensive linemen are doing so Isolating the guys that are getting those better grades and performing well in the PFF system that way is a good way to predict sacks uh, over time, as opposed to just assuming that, you know, a guy had double digit sacks last year, he's going to do it again this year. It doesn't work that way. There's, there's a lot that, 
um, there's a lot of sack luck that exists basically. And if we're going to try to improve our chances to predict sacks, then we have to take into account those things like uh, win rates and pressures and uh, pass rush grade and what they're doing at the line of scrimmage to help themselves improve their chances to get a sack. Nice. Nice. That's what we want to see. We want to see the insider information, those sneaky breakouts, somebody that, you know, I mentioned, um, actually, no, I haven't even talked about was a guy that I found really interesting watching his trajectory was actually Austin Eckler. So Austin Eckler, as we know, kind of came along and was just second fiddle to um, Melvin Gordon there for a few years. But interestingly enough, when I was digging into it, I was really, really, really surprised. He popped up in the top 12 of PFF grades way back in 2017. And then he was there again, 2018. And then he was there again in 2019. Um, And then eventually we actually see, you know, in 20, um, 20 he was beat up a lot so he wasn't there 2021 he absolutely smashed he was obviously like the running back two for fantasy he didn't actually uh, this was interesting so the the best most successful fantasy year he didn't actually grade that highly for pff surprisingly but what i was gonna say and what i was gonna ask you is um is that sort of a trend that you sort of again like we touched on would be utilizing or thinking about especially with running backs is like okay well this guy is not getting utilized as much but He's getting a really good PFF grade. Tells me he actually is a talented dude, so he could handle more. He, you know, somebody that you could be looking at buying low on because back three or four years ago, you could have got Austin Eckler for like anything. You know, you could probably could have got him on the waivers or like a fourth round pick or something because everybody's like, oh, Melvin Gordon's the man. Austin Eckler's nobody. Um, but actually, when you looked at his PFF grade, you're like, hmm, there's something here. This guy seems to be playing well when he gets a role. Am I onto something here, or am I crazy? No, I, I think you're. I think you're right. I, I mean, there's definitely players that you can try to identify early on, right? That are maybe stuck in a committee, um, or you, you know, there's an aging starter in their place um, ahead of them that is most likely going to be leaving that you can you can try to target. So somebody, for example, Tony Pollard has graded really well um, in our system and has. As I think it's been pretty public, like a lot of people share this information, but Tony Pollard basically uh, performs better than Ezekiel Elliott on almost every rushing metric that you can find, right? So he'd be another guy that you could look at. Even AJ Dillon uh, performed really well last year uh, with Aaron Jones yeah. ahead of him, right? Well, that's that's who I was literally going to ask you about. I was going to say the guys that really interest me looking at last year, based on what we've talked about, based on the trends, based on trying to uh, look at, okay, guys that have broken into the top 12 or at least even a top 15 or something like that on pff but they haven't quite done it in fantasy but it's probably because of opportunity the guys that i would really highlight would be aj Dillon, which in the regular season was like running back three on pff like he was 86.7 he was actually only 0.3 points on your grading scale behind jonathan taylor Mm -hmm. um in the regular season so he graded really well tony pollard was just behind him 86.2 um, and Ramondre Stevenson, like we touched on. So, I mean, are those sort of a couple of guys that you would be really interested in targeting in Dynasty? Because you're thinking they seem to have talent. They seem to be good at what they do. Their price might not even be that high yet because we haven't, you know, for a lot of fantasy players, you need to see it to believe it. They haven't seen it yet. So, therefore, you might be able to get in. Probably not cheaply on AJ Dillon. I think there's a fair amount of hype with those quads, Quadzilla, um, <laughs> breaking people's hearts. So, you probably can't get him super cheap, but maybe cheaper than you you know, maybe even cheaper than he is actually still worth, you know, right. that sort of way. Yeah, exactly. Um, Khalil Herbert is another one, I think, uh, in Chicago, who's performed really well in his like limited sample size that he's had. 
but David Montgomery is not going to be there forever. This could be the last year of his, his contract as well. So getting in on those guys, I think early um, with expected contracts ending for the starters or, or things like that. And even for injury purposes, right? Like if David Montgomery goes down, Khalil Herbert steps into a pretty big role there in Chicago. And you know that he's somebody that can carry that workload because you look at the grades, you look at some of the stuff that he's done on the field and, and you can kind of gleam a bit, a, a better picture there. And like you said, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, AJ Dillon, um, Tony Pollard, all those kinds of guys. Love it. Love it. Well, John, you have been an absolute amazing hoser of a guest. I am <laughs> super happy that you came on. Thank you for taking so much time. I think, you know, I feel smarter. I feel like I've learned a lot about PFF. I hope, hopefully the listeners have learned about PFF and learned about how to sort of utilize some of the tools. I think what we've talked about and what we've pointed out is that it's not an exact science, but nothing in fantasy football is. You can't say, you know, if anybody, if anybody, if Matthew Barry could sit and tell you who the top 12 in every position was going to be this year, then, you know, everybody in the world would follow him. He'd be the richest man alive. But the truth is, you know, there's pieces to the puzzle. And I think PFF's a really exciting, interesting piece of the puzzle that we can certainly utilize more and more efficiently for fantasy. And I think you've done a great job of bringing some insight into how PFF does what they do, how we can utilize it and ways we can try and look at it to hedge our bets or to kind of start making some bets on some of these players that we want to invest in or we want to look at possibly getting onto our rosters. Um, guys, again, if you don't follow John Macri, the ultimate hoser at PFF underscore Macri, um, is there any way we can change that to PFF hoser? No. Not, yeah, we could look into it. We'll look into it. <laughs> <laughs> At PFF underscore Macri. Definitely give him a follow. Super nice guy. He is so approachable and willing to help people out, especially with IDP, because it can be really confusing for new people. Um, people just into it. He, you know, obviously you can check out his work. He writes for PFF Fantasy. Um, and and check out if you're into IDP at all, check out the Big Nickel IDP podcast. He runs that pretty regularly, he has some really great guests on, a lot of good information. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you wanted to shout out? Anything else you wanted to plug or mention? or anything like that john before we go no i just just again thank you for for having me on and i, I know we talked a lot about pff grades and I, I think you nailed it right in saying that it's not like this be all end all of um evaluate player evaluation right it's something to use as a piece of the puzzle and i i think that's important for uh for people to realize nobody's saying that this is you know to be taken as gospel just to just another piece of the puzzle to add to your evaluation process that NFL teams use and fantasy players alike. So um, I appreciate you taking the time to, to let me come, uh, come on and, and talk about uh, PFF. And uh, I'm glad that we got to, to chat uh, hoser to Islander, I- Irelander. I don't know. What do, what do you, what do you guys call it over there? <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah. We don't have like, we're not hosers. I can I mean, hoser to hatchet man. I would say like, I hatchet I'm just like, a, I just, you know, that's one of my favorite phrases, hatchet man. So oh, um, uh, it, it was a good conversation, hoser to hatchet man. And <laughs> I feel like we've all learned a lot here and um, yeah, definitely man. Don't be a stranger. Come back on again. We will chop it up some more. And thank you for doing the Lord's work out there with PFF, making us all better fantasy players and definitely find a way mentioned to Chris Collinsworth that, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea to uh, sponsor the dynasty debates podcast, possibly throw out a PFF elite subscription, you know, just, just throwing that out there, mention it to Chris in one of your, you know, to your chats with your, your brewskis um, when you hosers are watching your, your hockey. Eh? And yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks again, man, for coming on. It's been awesome guys check out his work check out pff if you want get in on get an edge subscription it's not that expensive a lot of really good information a lot of articles and stuff like that and uh yeah keep on keeping on and we will speak to you again soon 
draft zero RB in Dynasty. Pass up a young receiver? Nah, I couldn't be me. My fifth wide receiver ran, it's only round seven. Not sure if I'm dead, cause I think this is heaven. Now forget what he said, and listen to me. What you really wanna do is stack those RBs. You can be Linda, just let me be frank. Those RBs on your roster is money in the bank. One says it's awful, the other says it's great. It's time to buckle in for a dynasty debate.